Um, so uh, Chris Trump's going to be talking to us now on KNF. Uh, uh, before we do that, um, I'm going to do a quick giveaway. Uh, we're going to give away some iron from True Aquaponics. So if you need some iron from True Aquaponics, you got uh, about a minute to tell us about, uh, uh, to type in, uh, I need iron in the chat. And, uh, and uh, we're going to introduce Chris Trump while we're doing that. Uh, so Chris is a uh, kind of uh, the, the king of KNF here in the United States, certainly the English speaking uh, king of KNF for sure, after Master Cho. And uh, um, he knows more about KNF than uh, anybody else that I certainly know. And uh, he's gonna talk to us about all the different wonderful ways you can use natural farming methodologies uh, that might be relevant to it. It's gonna be kind of a two part series. He's gonna talk about some stuff today and then tomorrow uh, at 11 a.m., Wendy Cronenberg's going to talk. Uh, uh, going to talk about um, uh, uh, some some different methods. So super stoked on that. Um, uh, anything I missed there, Chris? No, that's that sounds great, Steve. Thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, and you also do, he also does a, a wonderful set of courses uh, on naturalfarming.co. I believe is the website. I have it in there in the link. Uh, I might have. Uh, let me double check that. That's your website, correct? Yeah, naturalfarming.co. So definitely check that out if you're looking to, to uh, take a, a more in-depth classes. He has wonderful week-long classes that uh, are uh, just incredibly informational. So, um, alrighty, uh, let's go with uh, Jason Wooten. Uh, you just won yourself an, a pound of iron from True Aquaponics. Uh, email me at potentponics at gmail.com and we will get you the... Uh, uh, the iron. All right, go ahead, Chris. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me on. Um, so yeah, aquaponics is something I love and uh, got to play with um, a good bit. And um, Steve, am I on, on your screen? Yep. Yeah, you're you're center on the screen. When you're talking, it cuts to you. Cool. Sweet. So. Um, yeah, I uh, have been out of aquaponics for about uh, six years, um, but built a commercial aquaponics system and played with natural farming in a commercial aquaponics system. Um, as far as natural farming and aquaponics, the way we'd like to split it up over the next few days is um, Wendy will jump in and really uh, talk about applying some of these foliar nutrients in an aquaponic system or just how to apply the foliar nutrients. And uh, I'll talk a little bit about the theory today, the theory of why you would apply some of these inputs, um, which she'll reiterate um, a little bit tomorrow. Um, but I'll also talk about ways you can, uh, you know, I, I love talking with Steve about aquaponics and the, the dual root zone because that was something that we played with kind of on accident um, in Hawaii. and. Um, really cool and effective um, for growing all different kinds of things that might be more challenging to grow in a traditional uh, floating or, or deep bed kind of aquaponic system. Um, so we'll, we'll jump into 
you know, kind of the different versions or, or my version of dual root, root system and, um, and then talk about sometimes why you would apply some natural farming things and uh, what you wouldn't apply in natural farming because there's some great uh, natural farming things for soil that you don't want to touch um, to your aquaponic system with the 10-foot pole. So yeah, it's, uh, it's fun to, to be able to merge these techs and at the same time, there's some uh, pitfalls and uh, good things to know. So we'll jump into uh, uh, to all of that. Um, Steve, do you want to do, uh, are we doing Q&A at the end or is, is that, yeah. uh, that not yeah, we've been thing? wrapping up about five or 10 minutes early and then uh, if we run a slightly late, that's okay too. Cool. So that's uh, about an hour or 45 minutes, you said? Uh, so we have a, yes, yeah, so you're, you're good for an hour. Um, okay. So you got 55 minutes and then, uh, you know, we just maybe stop five or 10 minutes early for, for Q&A. Awesome. Good stuff. Um, so one of my favorite additions for aquaponic systems um, is lactic acid bacteria. One of my least favorite um, additions with natural farming for aquaponic systems is IMO4. Um, with the natural farming technology, we use IMO4 for um, soil processes and, um, uh, you know, it's really important. It's 80% of natural farming, but in an aquaponic system, it's actually the wrong microbes for your, your water system. It's all terrestrial microbial life, terrestrial soil food web, um, which I'm sure you've heard Steve talk about. Um, but um, it just really is um, not only not effective in natural farming or in aquaponics, I think it's actually can be detrimental in aquaponics um, because um, you can mess with the balance of your microbial system. So the, um, the thing to stay away from is adding IMO4. Um, believe me, I've done it. Um, that doesn't mean, though, that in a dual root zone um, aquaponic system, you can't top dress with IMO4 in your soil layer. Um, so I think there's, there's definite merit to that. Um, and, um, and that's worth exploring and, and playing with, um, depending on your system. But LAB, LAB is a facultative anaerobe, and it's great for clarifying and uh, cleaning up. They're incredible trash collectors um, for, uh, excuse me for the noise for a second, um, but they're incredible trash collectors for your aquaponic system. So um, all that kind of um, fish poop that kind of builds up in different places, um, it's incredible to get a, um, uh, kind of colony or, or a way to boost your lactic acid bacteria population periodically in your system. And um, I found that that helped to cycle nutrients. If I was um, trying to get that latent calcium, um, I often used coral sand as a, as a calcium that just sat on the bottom of my fish tank and then pull, it got pulled into solution um, as, um, as needed or as it was needed for balance. Um, which was a typical practice when I was learning um, with some of the people I was following on, on how to do aquaponics. But uh, Steve probably has better uh, uh, better ways to get that calcium into the system. But um, when we're using LAB, um, I found that the ability... You had something to say on that, Steve? 
Well, I mean, there's other ways to do it, but you absolutely can use WCA as long as you don't go totally crazy. No, I don't use WCA. I put um, calcium coral sand, calcium carbonate oh, yeah, yeah. Um, into my fish tank. And, and it just sits latent. It's kind of sand on their bed. They play with it. The fish go down and play with it on the, on the floor of the fish tank. But then as that nutrient's needed, it gets pulled up into solution. Um, to to balance the uh, the nitrogen. So you, if that you're gonna was, do that, uh, something on an we did. I'm sorry. Yeah. Now go for it. Oh, if you're gonna do that on a larger scale, you want to make sure you put it in like a sock or a pouch, something that can be removable later, um, because after a while it'll leach out most of its available calcium and it'll start to absorb phosphorus over time. So um, it's not something you want to say add to your media bed mix. Uh, uh, but it is something that you can add, you know, as a hanging column and say a, a, a sub tank or something like that. Genius. I love it. So then you can remove it out when it kind of loses its vigor and put in a fresh amount. Perfect. Yep. Exactly. Better, better application. Add it to your compost after that or, uh, or whatever else. That's, that's perfect. So um one of the ways when we add lab to aquaponic system one of the more most important things that i found was to activate it um and so lab in its jug is pretty active um, you got a lot of living organisms in there but what you can do is um you can take it 24 hours before you want to use it and add it to a bucket of um water um, and then uh, add some brown sugar to that water. And, um, you know, for 24 hours, let the LAB sit in there with the sugar in the water um, and, and, uh, and then apply that solution that's kind of jumped because they'll process on that carbohydrate um, and, and multiply like crazy and just kind of jump in activity. So when you're adding it in, you get the most bang for your buck for that um, LAB that you made because that is a bit of a process. And you don't want to just be blowing through that. So being able to add a smaller amount of LAB, you know, one to 30 or one to a thousand, a pretty big range, and then getting it to kind of process on that sugar. Um, and so some people aerate that sugar bucket um, with the LAB. Um, some people just let it sit, um, you know, uncovered overnight and it's enough. But I found that that addition of LAB for clarifying, for cleaning up my water, especially for leafy green plants. Um, I was growing lettuce and root ginger. Um, that, that, that kind of processing of nutrients that the LAB do. Um, and in a good aquaponic system, you have tons of LAB. Um, it's, it's latent in there. But giving that boost, that kind of jump, kind of almost overpopulation for a short time, um, I found was um, really valuable. Or um, for the whole system and, and the clarity, the nutrient processing for the plants. I just saw a lot of great plant response to that addition of LAB. So yeah, um, feel free to ask questions on that if you want to play with that. That's something that I really enjoyed um, having that that technology to use on the aquaponic system. Um, so. Um, I'll talk quickly about how we grew root ginger in our aquaponic system. We had a deep trough system, um, not a dual root zone system. We had a um, uh, bell siphon on a gravel. Um, we used um, lava rock 
in our um, kind of um, gravel system, our, our uh, kind of waste processing system. So right out of the fish tank, it would go into this gravel system that was full of earthworms. Um, I know some people have done vermaponics um, and played with it. And it's, you know, they use the earthworms exclusively and even feed them with um, some sometimes gnarly stuff, feeding them with uh, manure slurries or whatnot. And the worms process it and make it um, plant available and um, also um, uh, deal with a lot of the pathogens that, um, that, you know, kind of manure can be. So not necessarily recommending that, but I know that there's some people that have great success with vermaponics and um, worth, worth a rabbit hole journey if you want to uh, look into it. But um, the um, deep flow system, uh, those deep troughs, were, were not good for growing um, root ginger, you know, just cans of ginger that you buy at the store. Um, we grew it in Hawaii in our aquaponic system, but we had to do the dual root, do, dual root zone uh, system for it to work. And so um, what we crafted were four by four baskets out of PVC. One and, one and a half inch PVC, thin wall PVC mostly, um, as it was um, lighter, it didn't have its own weight, um, but um, full, full strength or schedule 40 PVC works too. But we made baskets um, with handles at the top. So it was about uh, 18 inches, 12 to 18 inches deep of a basket and then four foot by four foot square. And uh, we lined it with black, um, plastic mesh kind of about the same size as hardware cloth but it's a black square mesh it's um, sold by aquaponics stores um, great material it held up really well held up in water systems holds up um, really well to sun um, it's uv stabilized and um, and then filled that with cocoa and vermiculite or perlite um, we like perlite better um, it was a really fluffy mix um, for the ginger and uh, we filled those baskets, um, put an upside down pot um, in kind of towards the bottom. So the bottom of the pot was touching, kind of wasn't on top of media. And, uh, and then planted our root ginger right on top of that pot and then buried it with more of the cocoa and uh, perlite. And uh, um, we got about um, uh, anywhere between 250 and 400 pounds per four by four square. Um, it went ballistic. And so what we did is we'd start the media about two inches in water. So it'd soak up and wick up into the um, cocoa, all that moisture. And that's what popped our ginger seeds. And then as soon as those ginger seeds created roots that went down past that black mesh layer of my four by four square by a foot to 18 inches deep, as soon as they were coming out that bottom of that black plastic mesh, We'd lift it up, support them with two by fours that we'd screw into the side of the, um, the trough. And, um, and the entire media of that growing bed would be completely suspended out of the water, not touching at all. So it's, it got nice and dry. Um, and all the fibrous roots, all the feeder roots of the ginger would be down in that, that flow through water, pulling in all that nutrients from the, the fish system. And um, what we got from that was super clean, beautiful ginger, super easy to harvest, nothing, hardly anything to wash out, except some perlite that get caught in a joint or a crack where it grew. But um, uh, we'd also, we'd pull in Hawaii, we'd pull a 70% uh, shade um, 
cloth over our ginger. It was a um, Agrabond cloth, a 70% shade, or, or I think it was less than 70%, maybe it was 30% shade. Sorry about that. Um, but ginger likes shade. And so, um, but it would hold the canopy, all those leaves of the ginger would hold up that, um, that Agrabond, and we just waited on the side. So it would be like a, a floating skirt. Um, but with the weights, it wouldn't blow away and it was held on, you know, it was supported by all the foliage. And um, it was literally, we planted once in the spring and we ignored it for, um, for an entire growing season. Um, gingers planted in the spring and harvested in the fall. And um, we didn't have to do anything. There was zero maintenance, zero tweaking or messing with it. Once it was up out of the water, it just went. And uh, the growth we got in that ginger, um, we were looking at it as a crop diversification, uh, potential crop, crop diversification for our macadamia orchard. Um, but the system we built, though it was large, kind of a commercial size system, um, it was too small for the economy of scale necessary to be profitable in Hawaii. Um, and it was kind of an experiment for us. So. Um, we loved it. it. It produced a bunch of food, but in the end, natural farming applied to macadamia nuts was our 20% increase that we needed to be really profitable. And it was a lot easier than creating an entire other business centered around uh, like baby romaine lettuce. But um, I real quick want to talk a little bit about how we sold that baby romaine lettuce because it might be helpful for some of you, some of you trying to market your products. Um, what I did um, when we were starting out is I didn't have um, an idea on what the best thing for our market was as far as what I should produce. I could produce all kinds of beautiful things in those aquaponics as far as um, vegetables and, and greens go, but I didn't know what would be the highest dollar per square foot um, for my growing bed. And so what I did is I bagged up um, in nice new Ziplocs, bagged up and labeled everything I could grow uh, that I thought were my best things. And I took it to six produce vendors and just dropped them off with samples on my card. And I said, hey, here's what we can grow. Um, we can produce uh, about 100 pounds a week. Um, you know, what, what are you interested in and what would you like to pay for it? And um, I got calls from all of them. Um, and one of them was, huh, huh, you know, we're thinking about it. Uh, you know, we have a lot of uh, producers and, you know, we might be able to fit it in and we're interested in your baby remain, um, but we're not really sure exactly how much we can take just yet. And then I had another one offer me money for it, a, a dollar amount, like $4 a pound. And then I had another one call me back and, and they all wanted baby remain. And the third one that called me back wanted, wanted it all that I could grow for $6 a pound. And um, that was great. Um, but that kind of way of letting, letting the buyers um, give you, you know, I, I would tell them, I'm just going around to a few produce vendors in town and this is what I can grow, I'm local, et cetera. And, um, and so they knew that they had competition as soon as they were looking at my product. And, um, and so they came back with a competitive price and I went with the best paying um, and obviously I wanted to make sure the rate relationship worked as far as flow and getting on the product, but, um, I went with the highest paying buyer, um, and I let them do that. I didn't have to do that work of trying to sell it or, or market it as, as much as let them taste it, see it, 
touch it. And then um, I had a really easy time selling it because I just said yes to the one that was the best for me as the grower. Um, and so I think that um, way of going about marketing your product plays in a lot of different industries. Um, but find find the, the buyers in your industry um, or if you're growing um, vegetables, find the chefs and the resorts and, and uh, give them a sample, show them what you can do and uh, see, see what they'll offer you for that. Because I, I think that can, uh, one, save you a bunch of time running around trying to um, uh, sell your product, but two, it can help you maybe get a higher price than maybe you were expecting or would have initially asked for. Um, so I had fun with that. In the end, if we had expanded um, aquaponics, we would have expanded um, ginger because it was so easy to grow. I think that dual root system for growing a lot of things is really viable. We could have grown turmeric in it. Um, uh, in Hawaii, um, there's a big market for kalo um, or um, what's the English word for kalo? Oh my gosh, I'm sorry. Born in Hawaii, I don't even remember English words. I can't remember either. Taro? Taro. Taro, thank you. Um, which is a, a tuber, uh, a carbohydrate, uh, kind of like a potato, but it's a staple in Hawaii. We could grow that really well. Um, again, kind of dual root system worked the best. And um, so those, those root vegetables, if you're looking at uh, incorporating them, the dual root system plays and is highly effective for, for growing those things. Um, even if you wanted it as a companion plant to some of the other stuff you're doing, I think it's super nice to have uh, beautiful organic ginger to share with your friends. Um, so jumping into, um, Wendy's gonna cover the application uh, tomorrow of some natural farming things. Um, but what I wanted to talk about is a little bit of the theory of why we would apply certain nutrients um, in an aquaponic system or just to a vegetable or a cannabis growing system in general. What are we looking for? How do we decide what of all these natural farming components to add? And um, so would a whiteboard be helpful for this, Steve, you think? Whiteboard might be helpful. I have one made up. Yeah, what whatever think, whatever works, whatever makes it easier. Right. 30 second break. All right. Chris is a really great wealth of knowledge. If you aren't familiar with his YouTube channel, um, be sure to go check out Chris Trump's YouTube channel. He has tons of long format guides on almost all the, the KNF inputs that are, are very well done. So uh, definitely a great place if you're, if you're wondering what some of the stuff he's talking about it is a great place to learn how to make all of them. Yeah, super easy to follow, great video. It shows that Mike. Literally every step of the way, um, so definitely, uh, definitely check out those videos because they're they're probably the easiest to follow for especially for newbies. So really appreciate Chris and all of his free content. All right, all right. Thanks for those complimentary words. Professor Chris is back. So, um, you know, though Wendy will cover a little bit of this tomorrow, um, it's, it's a lot to swallow on first hearing. 
Um, so I think talking a little bit about the theory could be really helpful um, for some people that really want to try this um, in their aquaponic system. Um, so I am going to actually make the whiteboard center screen and um, move it close, and we're going to talk about it a little bit. Is that all backwards and inverted? Steve? No, you're good. You see that straight? It looks backwards on mine. Let me. Uh, okay, cool. Let me double check yeah, here on the live. Be good. Oh, the all live right. is it's the right way on the live. You're good. Great. Okay. Cool. It's just inverted in my camera, which is fine. So, um, sorry for the quick writing, but um, this is um, a series of natural farming ingredients. Um, we're going to start here. So um, the nutritive cycle theory um, is about giving the plant the right thing at the right time. Um, a sheet like this is just something I made up based on um, theory from Master Cho, um, Cho Han Yu in uh, Korea. Um, but the idea is that your plants go through a vegetative growth stage they change over between vegetative growth and reproductive growth, and they have a stage in that changeover, and then they're in reproductive growth stage. So um, most people are familiar with that cycle in plants. Um, one of the ways we teach it is we overlay it on, um, on human growth stages because we understand intuitively human growth stages. So a child, uh, an infant, a child, and the nutrient needs of um, young, young children or um, adults, uh, teenagers, they all vary. We know that intuitively as human beings because we live it. Um, but sometimes we don't associate those stages of growth with um, plants. We don't think of it in the same way. But if I were to ask you, you know, hey, uh, what do you think of feeding, you know, pureed steak to a two-day-old infant? You'd say that's ludicrous. You don't feed heavy foods to infants. Um, well, in um, natural farming or in the in the theory of nutritive cycle, we would we would have the same caution in overfeeding baby plants or seedlings. Um, we'd wait until they had both their true leaves, um, and even then, some after that, you know, four true leaves or more. Um, before we'd really move them into full feeding. And so in that early stage, we feed them a, a really light um, nutrient mix that we call um, maintenance solution. And maintenance solution is kind of your base nutrient component. Um, so that is your FPJ, OHN, and brown rice vinegar. FPJ is 1 to 500. OHNs 1 to 1,000, brown rice vinegars 1 to 500. And that's a balanced, basic, low-nutrient mix. Um, if we're popping seeds with that, we call it SES or seed soak. I have a video on that. And if we're applying it to young plants or just as a nutrient feed, which you can apply a nutrient feed um, throughout a plant's life cycle um, with maintenance solution, it's just it's a really simple food. The FPJ becomes the food. It's like a a liquid, high-quality liquid compost. The OHN is your prebiotic or your plant immune support. 
in your brown rice vinegar has a bunch of flavored nutrients and it balances your SPJ. That sour, that that lower, that um, acidic pH um, helps to make this a balance where you don't get um, you know, susceptible to bugs or something because you're applying um, to um, potent uh, nutrients in your SPJ. Um, this can be applied once a week or more. But what's cool about this basic um, component or this this base nutrient mix, um, which we use in the other stages, um, is that you're not giving your plants signals with this. So you can apply it all the time, and you're not going to whack them out on vegetative or um, how they're processing the nutrients. You're just giving them kind of a, a health tonic or something. Um, and so we go on. Wendy's going to get more into this tomorrow. But we go on in vegetative growth nitrogen, uh, which is fish amino acid, um, which you can apply foliarly in an aquaponic system. Um, you don't want to pump that into your water. None of this is for pumping into your water. Um, this is all for very light heating uh, foliar up out of the water. And then changeover, we bring in a substance phosphate, um, just like a pregnant woman sometimes craves the sour, she's craving the complementary nutrients um, to make that um, to get ready to make that, um, you know, infant or, or to feed that baby in the future. So and you go through that same kind of morning sickness phase, that shift from vegetative growth to flower or vegetative growth to fruit production. Um, and then uh, we get into reproductive growth. And sometimes when you're planting deep green and you want them to put on structure, you bring in a calcium to help them balance all those nutrients they've been accumulating. And so that was a very quick run through of the plant nutritive cycle theory, but um, I'll jump back to it here. So this is a type three um, at the top here, reproductive growth. And what we have is the ratios to bring in that calcium with our FPJ, brown rice vinegar and OHN. And um, as we, and then um, we go over to changeover, we bring in calcium phosphate, and then uh, type 2 is our vegetative growth food, and um, that's with FAA, has a bunch of nitrogen, again, to push them to um, put on that, those, those, those uh, leaves and that, um, that plant structure, those, that, that, uh, those branches for um, being able to carry the maximum weight. Um, for, you know, if you're growing tomatoes or you're growing cannabis um, or um, other things. With vegetables, with like baby romaine lettuce, we stay in vegetative growth stage the whole time until harvest. We just want them to push on that weight, put out more leaves and lush up. And uh, that creates a ton of flavor. And we have a lot less need to um, uh, balance because we're not letting them go to seed where they'd be in reproductive growth. We're keeping them in that vegetative growth, kind of reaching for the sky, um, pushing their, their weight as much as possible um, scenario. But um, this is a introduction to the concepts. Um, again, Wendy will get more into applying it, how to apply it, etc. Um, but I want you to know in, in this talk that there are tools available to you to feed your plants foliarly. Um, and in aquaponics, we're, we're making every, I mean, in uh, natural farming, we're, we're making everything um, through fermentation 
or uh, chemical reactions uh, with like vinegar and calcium or vinegar and biocharred bones or vinegar or water and um, biocharred sunflowers for water soluble potassium. Um, and they're because of how we're making them, they're so micronized that they're highly plant available through the foliage of the plant, which is awesome when you have your, your base nutrients constantly coming through in that water system from aquaponics, but you want the ability to feather in uh, additional nutrients without um, having to um, put the ratio in for your entire water system. Um, you can just put a balanced nutrient into a spray bottle and come through in foliar and get that, um, that, res that plant's response you're looking for um, with some of these materials. And so like Steve said, um, I'm not obviously going into how to make all of this right now. And, um, and it is a bit of a rabbit hole if this is new to you. But I do have a YouTube. If you just search Chris Trump uh, on YouTube, you can find um, some 20 videos on how to make all this stuff. Um, and then I have a website, Chris, I mean, uh, naturalfarming.co. Um, and uh, that you can get some, some downloads for, you know, what materials you need to get on hand to make some of these materials, um, as well as you can get stuff like those sheets I showed you today. Um, so if you want to jump into natural farming, the best way to do it is uh, take a five-day intensive class, or I have, I guess for the first time, I'll let you know that uh, next month there will be an online 40-hour class. That's never been, I've never made that available before, so I haven't talked about it actually anywhere else other than here just now too, so that's, that's fun. If you want to dig deeper into this, there are tons of options available to you. The YouTube's all free. Um, on how to make this stuff, and then just that quick explanation, even though um, it seems super fast, um, and with, with Wendy's information tomorrow, um, you will have what you need to give this a try. And because you're not making IMO4, which is kind of the most complicated of the natural farming inputs for aquaponics, you can make LAB, which is crazy simple, and these nutrients, and just add to your aquaponics game. Um, so if you're you're clicking along, but you would like the ability or that kind of power to bring in uh, the right amount of nutrients at the right time, which is kind of the, the concept or the one of the overriding philosophies of the nutritive cycle um, theory and natural farming. Uh, then this, this toolkit, um, you can have it on your shelf, um, really easy to mix up a bottle at those ratios and apply it. Uh, in a timely way to um, your uh, your grow or whatever it is you're growing in your aquaponics system. So I've, I had a lot of fun with it. I had some failures when I put in IMO4. I, I did not like the, uh, the outcome for um, the aquaponics system. I think it, it skewed things for a little while um, and I needed to get it out of there. So um, yeah, discouraged that particular part of natural farming being applied to aquaponics but i know that steve's playing with some um you know kind of using the theory of uh natural farming of taking these indigenous cultures and applying them to our growing space I, I know that steve and i have been talking for a long time about getting um aquatic food web cultures and being able to apply that into an aquaponic system right steve oh yeah we've been using um inoculated uh 
Well, right now I've been doing a couple of combination things. One is um, some bags of, of rice that we've been putting in the river uh, or in a, a moving body of water. We try not to take from, from still bodies of water. That's one thing we kind of noticed definitely helps uh, excuse me, balance things in your favor, unless it's a large body of water. Um, and then uh, also uh, doing uh, sugar infused uh, sponges. So taking sea sponges, uh, kind of giving them a, an infusion of, of raw sugar uh, or raw sugar water and, and getting them nice and, and sugar rich and then putting them in, a, in, a, in an onion bag or, or similar type thing to, to um, collect microbes as well. Uh, again, for you're trying to get more of your vertical slice of your, your biosphere, more of your seed shrimp and little copepods and all those other things that, that play a, a, a little bit larger role in aquatic biomes. Yeah, yeah, and those, those play nicely in aquatic biomes and uh, because you're getting that aquatic food web, um, you're, it, it won't have that negative effect I'm describing with this terrestrial IMO4. Um, you, it'll, should move right in and play nicely as it strikes balance with your system. So that that is definitely how you can do an IMO collection. I love the sea sponge and sugar idea, Steve. That's a great, great concept. You could probably even soak it in some uh, rice wash water um, with that, um, that sugar mix. That would be fun. Get a little more of the complex carbohydrates. Um, yeah, it's, you know, with, with the concepts in your head, if you can, can take the time. I love talking with Steve because these these natural laws, you know, they're they're there for us to partner with, and um, and uh, Steve's great at understanding the complex, um, you know, the way these natural laws play with each other, and how we can um, partner with them in our commercial systems. You know, we're still trying to be um, farming for income, but we can use the the way nature already works to um to shore that up or to push those those yields um and and prevent diseases so i love i love playing with that and i love talking with steve raisner about it too because uh, we have good fun oh yeah i was just talking a little bit over the the lunch break about how people should look at their bioaccumulator list they use for some of their other types of composts and stuff like that as as potential FPJ inputs for, for sources of data on, on hey, what, what actually is kind of high content of X, Y, and Z in my yard. Uh, you know, there's a, a lot of uh, stuff out there that's maybe, you know, people say is higher than it is or isn't, isn't as high as it is and people think it is. Um, I know stinging nettle really is one of the best things that you can ferment uh, that, that I've noticed in terms of just nutrients across the board. Um, but, uh, you know, they can use a lot of existing data and hybridize it with KNF to, to really uh, unlock a lot more potential out of their garden and, and what they already have to work with as far as inputs. Definitely. I know uh, Wendy loves stinging nettle the best, but she might be a psychopath because she likes the stings that she gets from stinging nettle. And I guess it's like this 20% of people like like to be stung by stinging nettle like it's some sort of positive feeling <laughs> it wasn't that way for me so yeah stinging nettle is a great accumulator comfrey is a great accumulator but you got to be careful too um so when i tell people to select for fpj um i discourage them especially initially from looking for bioaccumulation um, and rather to look in their environment for what is hardy healthy and vibrant that grows with no help and the bugs don't bother it 
and um, it thrives through the drought and the rainy season because that plant is doing a excellent job by its appearance you can tell it's doing an excellent job at pulling nutrients from that environment and usually you can find free things that do that really well things that are growing in your environment i'm out here in colorado working with a client um, setting up a whole natural farming lab and um, it's going great and it's fall it's we're moving into fall in colorado so what's available for fpj it's not the best time to be looking for FPJ things to harvest. Um, but driving around, we, we identified two things that are still lush and vibrant even at this time of year. And it's um, this type of sagebrush that's local, that's specific to this area that before it hardens off and gets brown is, is lush and green, it's like a succulent. And then there's the, um, there's um, amaranth, which grows like crazy. and. Uh, so even though we didn't um, pencil out the bioaccumulation in those two plants, those ones are lush and green everywhere. All of the wild places in this sandy soil, they're able to cycle and process nutrients. And so those plants are going to be nutrient dense. You have a great material to gain uh, diverse nutrients um, for your system. But that bioaccumulator page that Steve's talking about, um, I've really benefited from. Um, Steve shared it. I think it's a study by Duke University, and they listed a beautiful list of bioaccumulation and and the um, the nutrient density or, or these kind of minerals that are are dense in certain plants. And um, when I learned natural farming, I learned to make water soluble potassium, which is um, with um, tobacco stems, which in South Korea are extremely abundant they grow a ton of tobacco you can get tobacco stems all year long really cheap really free nearly free and uh, so for them it's a great source of potassium but in the mainland u.s we don't have access to a ton of nearly free tobacco stocks so i actually use that duke bioaccumulation um, tool to to source or to identify in nature the highest potassium accumulators that we have readily available in the mainland USA and, um, and how to um, use that um, instead of um, tobacco stems is something I've just taught in the last couple of years. I didn't need it on my farm because we had a bunch of potassium from our um, byproduct from our farm. And so composting that and reapplying it, we were great on potassium all the time. But uh, since I got here, people need it, especially for cannabis. It's a huge input for cannabis. And, um, and you just make that by biocharring um, the heads of sunflowers, those fresh growing um, flowers or new growing tips or big giant um, full flowers full of seeds. And you throw it in a Dutch oven if you want just a simple, easy tool technique, throw it in the Dutch oven and start a fire. And as soon as the syngas stops coming out, syngas is the, the kind of, the, as the organic molecules break down in the biochar process, as you're um, not allowing oxygen into that system, um, all the um, kind of juice or goodies of um, the organic bonds in that plant um, uh, burn off or go through a chemical change because of the heat. And it um, comes out, it seeps out because of internal pressure um, through a Dutch oven's lid, um, and it'll light on fire because it's a flammable fuel. 
um, but then you're left with this super crispy, you know, like glass um, uh, sunflower heads. And those you soak one part sunflower head biochar. I usually use like a nut milk bag or a paint strainer and I soak those in water for 10 days. And what happens is that that uh, that mineral rich material just seeps like a tea bag, like making sun tea um, into your water. And you have this highly micronized, highly plant available potassium. Um, and so I don't have a video on that. So hence the little further explanation on how to make that one. But uh, it's good fun to have all this free material available to you. I'm working with a client right now, and they're tripping out on how, how easy it is compared to the program, the salt program they were running before. Go ahead, Steve. I mean, to cut you off, we had a, someone, someone asked, uh, well, how would you process tobacco stems? Um, the one thing I was going to add to that is, is that I would be very wary of using tobacco night excuse me tobacco nightshades or squashes because of viral transfer being so there's so many viruses that can transfer that um you know yeah that can be a problem but i also know the mosaic virus yeah but you've had uh, good luck with treating at least the tomato version of that haven't you yeah yeah we treated mosaic virus and tomatoes with 100 percent success with liquid imo um, we've also dealt with powdery mildew in multiple industries, grape, um, wine grapes, cannabis, um, with liquid IMO with great success. I think you might get away with a foliar liquid IMO if you did it in a light amount. So you weren't putting a bunch of water into your system. Um, if you were dealing with, uh, foliar diseases in your plants, um, a liquid IMO, then you'd have to get into the IMO process. You'd have to learn how to properly make, um, IMO four. Um, or IMO3 at least, um, and that's that's a bit of a journey. But yeah, no, we, we just, just um, where I'm working here today, um, I arrived one week ago to um, a pretty solid powdery mildew um, problem in the entire 700-something um, plants. And um, we're now six days later, seven days later, and uh, there's zero powdery mildew. There's, there's a couple hanger-ons, that we didn't hit very well with just our our physical application right on the end of a row, but um, but the entire room is PM free um, with two applications of liquid IMO, and uh, it's just the microbes that you're applying win that space. They they beat out the the small powdery mildew microbe for the the leaf tissue space. They'll actually consume the powdery mildew. Um, and it becomes a food for them to thrive. And so, yeah, definitely uh, a thing to do. I don't know if there's an aquatic food web version of liquid IMO that you could make up and apply and get the same effects. That might be a fun experiment, Steve, we could play with. Um, but um, yeah, as far as, as far as foliar diseases or vir viral diseases um, in natural farming, especially if we're growing in the ground, we're not worried about those at all. Um, because uh, yeah, I have, I have lots of stories of remediation of, um, bacterial wilt, uh, fusarium wilt, uh, fus and um, uh, mosaic viruses and stuff like that, um, and a bunch of different crops. And, and uh, we haven't had a failure yet as far as, as long as you're making good liquid IMO. You know, if you start with crap, then you'll get crap. But um, if you're doing the, the process right, it's it's really simple to deal with those problems. We got time for some questions, Steve? Yeah. Um, one of the questions that somebody asked in chat is, 
Um, you know, is it dangerous to spray like an FPG? Or first off, can you do uh, FPJ with cannabis or do you recommend that or not recommend it? And then the, the follow-up to that was, um, is, is does making a ferment with say males, uh, should you not use that on females or and vice versa? Is there potential problems or increased chance of herming by putting those hormones on those plants? Um, or, you know, what to your knowledge uh, is that, is the depth of that? Yeah, I, I would, um, I would strongly advise against using your cannabis as your FPJ material. Um, juice it and, you know, put it in um, ice trays or something and, and uh, use it for nutrition or uh, compost it. Um, but as far as FPJ material, um, you're pushing those plants so hard um, in, in kind of an um, unnatural way. Um, which is okay. It's, you know, it's what you're doing because you're commercial farming or, or you're farming for weight. Um, it's not just, oh, it's nature. We're just going to let it grow however it wants. We're, we're kind of pushing on those plants. We're pushing on them in their growth cycle. We're, we're manipulating that a little bit. And, um, and as a result, I think you're, you're constantly trying to get the right amount of nutrients in those plants. Um, they're not going to be as nutrient rich as the random weed that's growing outside that nobody takes care of and you can't kill with a brick. That is going to accumulate a better nutrient density in its foliage and be a better food for your cannabis than some, um, some mayo plant, even if it's healthy. And then I would definitely um, be concerned with all the male hormones if you're constantly applying um, male FPJ. Um, you, you, you definitely you have um, male cannabis auctions, um, you know, biochemicals and, and growth hormone present in that solution. Um, so I would, um, I would definitely um, be, be cautious of, um, you know, uh, applying just a, a male uh, um, FPJ all the time. That's, a, that, that's use it your own risk. I know but it's a plant material you have readily available and some of you don't have a ton of wild space to go harvest things, but make it a once every six month trip where you just, you take a trip down, you load up a, you know, half a truck bed of everything you need for FPJ as far as plant material. And you don't have to make it all the time. Just make it once, set it on your shelf and use it as you need it. But, um, yeah, I would, I would say that as far as uh, standard operating procedure, using male plants for, uh, for your FPJ is probably um, not the best conceptually. I think you're going to do better with um, just a good bioaccumulator in your area, something that's always healthy. So um, good question, and uh, I hope that was helpful. Yeah, I know uh, I've often done FPJ with the fan leaves just because we have so much of it. It's easy to fill 55-gallon drums and seal them up, and you, know, you can make FPJ pretty easy as long as you have the sugar around, right? So. <laughs> But, uh, no, it is it is convenient. I, I totally get that. But I think a worm farm with your with your uh, male material or a, just a, a good composting process, um, you would be able to top dress with that later um, and, and get uh, as much benefit as I can give you. But as far as FPJ, FPJ is such a, um, a valuable thing. Um, and it's so effective when you apply this this. Um, these concepts we're laying out of, of looking for your, your most lush in your area, your free um, product. Um, 
that works really well. And uh, I haven't seen the same effect with um, male flowers and the people that have been doing natural farming, provided they, they've been doing it in soil or indoor. Um, so I, I don't know of a lot of male FPJ being applied in aquaponics. So there could be something different happening there. I have limited data on that. But, um, but yeah, as a general rule, I would avoid that as your, as your main source of FPJ. That doesn't mean you can't make it. doesn't mean it's not interesting. But um, yeah, I, I discourage that strongly. Any other questions for us, Keith? Yeah, sorry, I forgot my Talk about nerdy things for a few minutes. All right. Um, we could go on for hours on this stuff. Um, so uh, I'm trying to find some Start other... Our own private conversation while people are watching. Right. <laughs> they seem to watch it, though, especially the previous it's, one. It's fun. <laughs> How do you charge biochar with KNF? Uh, using KNF or Jadam? Um, good question. Um, so caveat, um, I don't believe biochar is necessary in a system where you have decent organic matter. I think it's a waste of your time. Um, if you have decent organic matter in your soil system, um, biochar is uh, something that's highly effective in a very early, um, if, you're, if you're kind of... Um, taking over some land that's void of organic matter. It's been torched or in uh, poor use for a long time and you just have sandy soil. Um, I think biochar can be huge and really effective for helping you kind of jumpstart that soil. But if you have a ton of organic matter already, um, biochar is just not necessary. It's a, I think it really it is a waste of your time and energy. Um, but to if you were going to make biochar and you wanted to charge it, um, then... Um, brewing, uh, putting a bag of biochar um, uh, or like a paint strainer full of biochar in your liquid IMO system and just letting it sit in there and seep while you make liquid IMO, um, that could be highly effective for charging your um, biochar with a bunch of microbes and nutrients. Um, and uh, I'd strongly recommend that um, particular technique if you are going to use biochar. Um, again, um, it's something that I think has a very nuanced or limited use, um, and uh, beyond that, I think you can you can waste a good bit of time. Biochar is fun, though, really, really fun. I made a 55-gallon drum of biochar out of the macadamia nut shells, and I had all these perfect shiny black marbles um, full of a high, you know, made from a high-carbon material. And I could take this marble, this perfect black sphere, and drop it on the ground and shatter like glass. I love um, playing with biochar, but in the end, I just think uh, of all the things you can do on your farm, um, if you have organic matter working for you, it's just not that necessary. Um, if you do want to look a little bit into biochar um, and you want to rabbit trail some research, Master Cho did a project when he was traveling around in the Gobi Desert. Um, with uh, tree farmers and uh, farmers there and they used biochar to catch the morning dew and slow release that moisture to these young plants um, and they had um, a massive change to their agricultural community there in the Gobi Desert so um, there's there's definitely some great uses for biochar I just don't think necessarily that all the uh, hype on the internet is um, what you need to play with
So uh, we had a question in chat is, uh, is your, um, <clears throat> is your uh, online class certified for level one for the KNF certs? Definitely. Yeah. So to be a co-teacher and to come back and, and uh, teach with me, um, to be a part of the Soilsmith Network, which is this growing um, community of teachers and highly skilled natural farmers, um, you do have to come to an in-person class. But as far as um, from Master Cho and teaching at Hawaii, um, as far as certification to teach an introduction to natural farming, yeah, as soon as you complete the online class, you have a certificate to um, to introduce people to natural farming through classes. And, um, and it's strongly encouraged that you do because the reality is we want to take over the world. And uh, spreading the knowledge is, is how we go about that. Um, there'll be too many of us, I thought. So we'll uh, keep sharing and keep uh, leaving it open source so that uh, we get an access to that. Um, you know, so it's not, not any copyrighted material. The only reason we charge for it is it takes too long on educational material to put educational material out there and have a website and to um, put out an in-person class. I love the in-person classes. If you can come, the reason is I don't even care if you understand what I'm telling you. I just stick something in front of your nose and make you smell it. And because of where the olfactory sense um, center sits, it sits on our cerebral cortex, um, we remember subconsciously anything we ever smell and the scenario, the place where we smelled it. And we don't even, I don't even have to know, I don't, the student I'm making smell that doesn't even have to consciously know what I'm doing. I just keep putting stuff in front of their noses and they leave with a Rolodex of all the right and wrong smells. Um, you know, and I just hijack their, their uh, olfactory center to uh, stick that all in them. And, and that's, uh, that's, that's the best way I've figured out how to teach this is smell, taste, touch. Um, but you can get a ton from online and there's people all over the world that have been uh, i've been helping through the internet for years and they're killing it just with online information and they figured it out they played with it they learned from doing and so um i think it's a great way to learn um, especially if you can't get access it's so limited as far as where you can go to get in-person training that i think the online training is going to be really vital absolutely um, anything else you wanted to share uh, before? How do people find that class? What, what, you know, where do they go if they want to find out more info about you? That class, that class will launch in November at the latest. Um, but I'm giving myself till then just because um, I've launched a light class, a nutritive cycle training class. It was light and not highly comprehensive. And I want this to be far more comprehensive. Um, it's it's going to be nearly 40 hours of video. Um, with supporting documents and um, so I just want to make sure to polish it a bit more last time it was just I was encouraged by friends let's release something you know people want to support what you're doing and uh, this one I really want to uh, see the success that comes from that education I'm in it for the stories you know the the farmers saying look what we did in a year um, Aaron uh, one of the one of my students and a great long time cannabis grower came to the regenerative conference in Humboldt this January and um, she'd been natural farming for uh, just over three years at that point and uh, she reported on the same land with the same genetics a, um, a doubling of their yield they doubled a, their yield over uh, a three-year period and now they're experiencing it again uh, this year and so that's a big deal um, 
you know, they, they decrease their costs of inputs and double their yield, then, you know, you can't sniff at that. And that's not me trying to, you know, make somebody do something or because I'm super, you know, homer on natural farming. Um, that's a farmer's story. That's just their story. You know, you can go look at it, you can pick it up, you can weigh it. It's just how it worked for them. And so I love those stories. So, um, yeah, the, the class is geared around more of those stories. We want we want the, the power in the hands of farmers. And uh, I think that'll shift the paradigm. I have some fun uh, news for you, Steve, when you wrap up uh, coordinating at uh, Mission Control over there. And talk to me uh, in a couple of days. I have a fun uh, tidbit of information that I think could shift the way we understand nutrient density uh, as a general public. Cool. Awesome. I know uh, we've been talking about all kinds of fun things behind the scenes and sharing secrets. And it's always fun to kind of have a small group of people you can have to kind of work together and R&D some stuff and flush it out, especially if you're onto something that people that are smarter have different experiences in different directions. So it's always fun to have other people that actually understand what you're talking about too. Yeah. Well, Alrighty. Cool. So I, uh, I, thanks again. We're, uh, can continue farming over here. Better, uh, get back to it. But, uh, thanks for having me on, man. And, uh, for those of you that really do want to get into the, um, the nutrients and how to apply them, uh, Wendy can spend a lot more time on that or, or stay focused on that uh, in her talk tomorrow. But yeah, Steve, um, for your for your watchers, uh, for your listeners, um, yeah, feel free to reach out. I'm at Soil Steward on Instagram and um, and uh, my email is chris at naturalfarming.co and, and um, I'm building people whole natural farming labs and they're starting um, from, you know, day one after I arrive with... Uh, six-month nutrient program and the ability to make it all themselves after that and uh, I'm, I'm kind of enjoying that and um, the stories are good so yeah if people want to reach out to me um, you know or even just ask questions I answer if you guys have reached out to me on Instagram I answer probably way more questions than I should be able to so keep it coming <laughs> especially IMO is my IMO right <laughs> There's a lot of them. <laughs> All righty. Well, thanks again, man. I really appreciate it. If you guys want more information, his inform info is in the description. Cool.